This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome. Welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, August 30th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for today's show. As usual, help guide you, and I'm going to provide you with a mix of educational and actionable material that will help further your investment education and your ultimate strategy and your plan. And of course, your contributions are vital. Your questions and comments are what drives this show. And we're going to talk about the markets overall. We're going to touch on different topics. But we're going to do that after our first caller question, which will be right now at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin. I have a question for ETF XLE. I'm wondering um, if I should be adding more to my small position to that ETF. I wanted to see what you guys thought about it, if I should keep adding or take some profit. Thank you, guys. All right, looking at XLE, this is the Energy Select Spiders ETF. This is basically the largest energy sector ETF that's out there. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we're kind of long-term bulls on, on energy. And you've seen that as of late with so many things actually pushing against the price of energy over the past year. Uh, we haven't seen a major breakdown. And when I say things that are pushing against it is uh, economy slowing uh, to a degree, uh, but also the SPR release uh, and generally a strong dollar over the past uh, couple of years. So all of that means the fact that oil uh, stayed around $80 or more for most of that period uh, just shows that underlying strength. Now, XLE, you're getting, I would say, broad exposure, but this is one of those interesting ETFs where it's highly concentrated in the top two names. Exxon and Chevron account for roughly 40% of this entire portfolio, entire fund, say that. And they're fine. There's nothing wrong with Chevron and Exxon. They're vertically integrated. It makes their business less volatile, and thus the underlying stock is less volatile. Now, are they the are they going to be the, ever the best performers in, in, in most periods? Probably not especially in positive periods for, for energy. Why? Because other businesses that are pure play E&P companies, exploration and production, they tend to have much better exposure when the energy prices go up. And so if this all depends on your risk tolerance level, if you buy this, because of the diversity, because you're in the two largest names that are their business are generally more diversified. Remember Exxon, Chevron, they don't just do EMP. They also have downstream refining businesses. They make petrochemicals like plastics, things like things like that. So once again, just a more diversified business. So if you're more on the conservative side, this is a good diversified way to get exposure. Now, are there much better opportunities than just having 40% exposure to Exxon and Chevron? 
Absolutely. But that takes a little bit of work. So it depends on how much work you're willing to put in. If you're not willing to put in any work, you don't feel like you have the ability to gather the data and find the best of breed within this sector, then this is a fine ETF to own for broad exposure to the energy space. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now, keep in mind that today, as always, we're going to provide some unbiased perspective developed with over 20 years of investment experience. And our main focus point is in regards to how to use cash in your portfolio, how to think about cash, what is the long-term performance of cash compared to inflation and other assets. So we're going to look at the pros and cons of the quote-unquote safest asset class. We also are going to touch a bit on the university space. And while going to university is a positive ROI endeavor for the vast majority of students, it's becoming more bifurcated. I mean, there's only a handful of specialties that actually pay off. And a lot of them have negative returns. So we're going to dig into that because I think this is important, whether that's for you and maybe you're young and going to a university or you have children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, cousins, friends, whatever it is that are, are thinking about it and how to look at the data. We're going to dig into the data that can inform you on how valuable the university education system is in the developed world. Also, hedge funds. There's uh, some interesting new data in a lawsuit that is coming out in regards to the hedge fund industry, and it kind of sheds some light on what happens in that space. And then lastly, Germany. Germany is having a tough time in a world where they can't get cheap energy from Russia. So what does that mean for the German economy and how they may uh, pivot? So we will dig into that story. But ultimately, this is about you and your calls and your questions. And with that in mind, we're going to voice bank questions. We're going to talk about uh, Nokia as well as individual bonds. And now let's talk a little bit about the market as a whole today. It was a modestly positive day overall after a very good day yesterday. The broad large caps were up 0.41%. Small caps were up 0.4%. So pretty even across the board between small, mid, and large. So not a whole lot of dichotomy uh, on that front. You had the dollar was, what did the dollar do today? It was down a little bit, a follow through from yesterday. The 10-year, that one was broadly flat, but uh, slightly negative uh, on that on that space. Uh, let's see, what else? Gold was uh, up slightly as well. Uh, commodities in general. Uh, had a uh, pretty solid day, so that was that was nice to see. Um, you know, it's just a, a modest update. There's not a whole lot of commentary. You're still kind of in the end of earnings season, and so there were some some big movers. AMC was up big, but that's been uh, volatile as of late. Lyft was up eight percent today. Uh, some big losers. Box, right? Uh, the uh, cloud software uh, storage company. That was down 12%. VinFast, the I think it was Vietnamese car company that had crazy valuations, that was uh, down about 10%. So, so some definitely some movers to the downside, but overall uh, a modestly positive day for equities and assets. Now, have you heard about the InvestStock sector, InvestStock Classroom series, excuse me. It's streaming now for free over on our YouTube channel. Episode five is now 
up and it's how to invest in recessionary times. So we explore the question of what is a recession compared with a financial crisis and we explain why it's important for investors to not paint every recession with a broad brush. Just search Invest Talk Classroom and now the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, how much cash should you have in your portfolio? I get that question a lot, both on and off air. And the answer is always, it depends. Now, for most people who have a long time horizon, a large cash position is just simply unnecessary. And but cash can play a critical role role in for certain people, especially retirees and those that have short-term spending needs, short-term goals. And now now cash is a broad term. It's not just the cash in your wallet or in your safe or under your mattress. It's really describing anything that's liquid and relatively safe. So treasury bills, money market funds, bank accounts, that would be all considered cash or cash-like. And based on the most recent quarter, the Federal Reserve says there's a lot of those out there. You have $4.2 trillion in checking accounts for U.S. households, $9.5 trillion in savings accounts and short-term instruments, and $3.2 trillion in money market funds. And cash has two advantages, safe and liquid. And you essentially can't lose any value. That, that kind of is the criteria for cash is that you can't lose value or it's very, very, very unlikely that you lose value in what you are invested in. And now that's in nominal terms, not necessarily in real terms. That's what most people ignore with cash is that for especially if you let's just run the clock 18, 24 months, savings accounts were earning zero basically, and some still are, but obviously inflation was very high and, but people only notice it when inflation is a lot higher than they used to, you know, got to high single digits when for 20, 30 years, we were used to two to 3% at worst inflation. And when it's so low, we don't really feel that year to year. 
But now that inflation is higher, people are starting to feel that. But that also means that the Fed has changed policy to raise the rates on that sh- those short-term cash-like instruments. And that's atypical, meaning most of the time, cash is about in line. The yield on cash is about in line with inflation, not well above where it is now, right? We, inflation, the CPI is somewhere in the three range. Short-term treasury rates are in the five and a half percent range. So longer term, cash is both the lowest risk and the lowest return of any major asset class. Over the last 40 years, yields on three-month treasury bills, which is kind of a good proxy for what your cash returns will be, it ranged from as high as 16.3% in May of 1981. 16.3. Think about that. You were earning, you think five and a half is nice? Imagine 16.3. But it was as low as 0.5 on average as of October of 2021. But now it's right about as of August 24th, about a little less than a week ago, it was 5.3%. And once again, that is positive in a, on a real basis, but that's usually pretty rare. Because cash usually isn't a good way to stay ahead of inflation. And if you look back over the last 20 years, cash has returned 1.27%, whereas the inflation rate has been about 2.57%. So in real terms, if you just kept your money in cash, you were losing net about 1.3% annually on a real basis. And that's why having much money in cash is typically a bad idea. Especially when... We have so much debt as a, as, a, as a country, and the government needs inflation to run a, or inflation to run a little bit hotter than, say, the what, what's paid on short-term uh, T-bills, because that's a good proxy for the cost of the debt. Now, the Fed funds rate indirectly influences the return on cash and other securities. So it doesn't do it directly, it's more indirectly. So that's why you often see a slight difference and a lag, et cetera. Now, who should hold on to cash? Well, if you have cash needs in the next, say, six to 12 months, meaning you need to spend that money, especially if you're in retirement, that should probably be closer to a year. Having that money in cash as opposed to invested probably makes sense. So if you're a retiree and you have your laddering, maybe three, six months CDs or treasuries, that's probably a good idea. So it's always important to keep cash on hand to cover unexpected emergencies, job loss, car repair, appliances, etc. But if you're working and you have money coming in, you probably don't need a whole lot in cash and you have a long time horizon. If you're in your 30s or 40s, even your, even your early 50s, having much cash is probably not the smartest thing. So... Think of cash holding uh, as separately, kind of as non-core component of your investment portfolio. It's more of buckets that you'll need to uh, need to meet your liabilities. And near-term liabilities need to be in very liquid, safe cash. Anything beyond that, that's when you start to take some risk, and that will vary depending on your risk tolerance level. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via the live stream on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART.
one of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hi there. I'm calling about Nokia and OK ticker symbol. I don't own any right now, and I was just wondering what Justin's take on it is in terms of uh, buying some now and if there's a good entry point. Yeah, anything would be uh, appreciated. Thank you so much. Uh, Nokia. This is always a, a fun one. Flashback. One of my favorite phones was Nokia. Remember little candy bar phones? I forgot the name of it, but I love that phone. And, you know, Nokia is a prime example of how fast technology can shift and suddenly your business is very different and sometimes a lot worse. And that's the case for Nokia as well as uh, Research in Motion or BlackBerry. And Nokia has shifted, though. It's now, instead of just making mobile phones, which they don't do anymore, they provide telecom equipment and services to help the networks operate, mobile networks operate. And so that's a a different type of business, B2B, obviously, as opposed to B2C. And it's all about the network infrastructure that they help support. Now, their business is fine. It's very profitable. Supposed to earn 35 cents a share this year. That's down from 47 cents a share last year. But then earnings just go up to 39 cents next year. It's a $3.98 stock. It has had a nice little move over the past handful of days. And it's moved from about $3.75 all the way up to just shy of $4 to close today. Not a huge move, but technically significant. About a 2% yield. This company's out of Finland. If you look at... Its balance sheet is very strong. Its cash flow is is solid, but not amazing. You know, its return equity is 20%, which is nice. But if you look longer term, it's been pretty meager. It's been, on average, over the last five years, around 2%. It's not very high. The technicals, despite this recent move up, are still in a downtrend. So I... Don't see anything too exciting, honestly, about this name. It's not expensive, but it's kind of not expensive for a reason. There's really no growth here. And it's a competitive industry, highly capital intensive. So I'm going to pass on Nokia. Let's go ahead and play two in a row. You know the number. It never closes. It's 888-99-CHART. I'd like to know about the individual bonds. I know that individual uh, bonds is rated from AAA to triple B, all of them is investment grade. But my question is that uh, if you're going to uh, like choose it triple uh, B, what kind of research do you do it? Because I never uh, bought an individual bond. If you can give me highlight how to buy individual bonds, I appreciate. Thank you very much. My name is Art. All right. So you can buy individual bonds through your broker. Fidelity, Schwab, E-Trade, etc. And you do need a good amount of capital. I always say you probably need $100,000 or more to 
kind of properly spread out the risk and, and ladder them, et cetera? Because bonds, typically you're trading in five to $10,000 increments. And so to get enough positions, you need a decent amount of capital. So that's number one. Now, you're right. Anything from triple B minus from Fitch or Standard Poor's all the way up to triple A, that would be investment grade. Anything below that, double B plus or below, that's going to be considered junk. Now, there's a big difference between a double B plus and say a B minus in risk. So don't treat them. You see B, it's not all the same. You know, the, the gap in risk between AAA and A minus, for example, is much smaller than double B plus down to B minus. Huge difference. So understand the differences there in the kind of exponential risk curve that happens when you get into that, that junk category. Now, which one you should buy? I, first off, don't completely rely on these ratings. They're a good guidepost. They're a good starting place, but they should not be the end-all be-all, just like anything. You don't want to use one factor to say you buy something or sell something. It's a combination of, of variables. Now, usually when you're looking at these bonds, you're buying corporate bonds. So then what you want to go into is kind of equity analysis. So for example, you know, if the equity is for the five-year bond and if the equity is going to have value over the next five years, still going to likely be in business, having profits, cash flow, et cetera, if you feel confident in that, well, then guess what? The bond's going to be fine. The only time the bond isn't fine is when the equity is worthless. And so... The, a good way to know whether you're buying a good corporate bond is if the stock in general is fairly solid and the business is solid underlying it. So I hope that gave you a broad overview uh, of that. And that's just the credit side. Obviously, it's the duration, how long you want to go out. I encourage shorter duration in this environment. So kind of in that three to five years is probably where you want to stick uh, with duration overall. Sometimes you go a little farther, but in general, that's a good sweet spot along the curve. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the story behind this question. Does adding dividend stocks improve portfolio performance? While all indexes take essentially the same approach when cloning the conventional stock and bond markets, they diverge when it comes to dividend stocks. So we're going to look into that story tomorrow. But for now, I am Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. 
You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You're building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin, this is Colin in Denver. Longtime listener, I love the show. Thank you very much. Wondering what you guys think about Cotera Energy, that's C-T-R-A. I have a long position that I've held for a while. I'm up quite a bit. Just wondering what you guys think about it in the short and long term. Thank you very much. I'll listen for the answer on the podcast. Are you looking at Cotera Energy? This is an independent EMP company, and it operates in Appalachia, Permian Basin, as well as Oklahoma. And it is a merger. It was formed via merger between Cabot and Simerex. Simerex, I believe is how you pronounce it. And it has done fairly well, certainly better than some of the oil majors. Still pretty big, $21 billion market cap. So it's to earn $224 this year. That's down from $4.94 last year, but earnings just to reaccelerate next year to $275. 2.6% dividend yield. And the chart is looking pretty solid. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of the chart. Uh, and so I like it. I like this name. I would hold it. Are there better ones within this space? I think there are some that may be a little bit smaller, more nimble, that are, are doing a bit better. But I like the balance sheet, risk profile, et cetera, of Kotera. 
So I would probably hold on to it. Uh, but once again, there's always better, most likely. All right, let's go to, let's touch on, on all right, universities. And we've seen the cost of a university degree just spiral out of control over the past 20 years. And this has taken its toll on society as a whole, but a lot of young people who are no longer jonesing to go to any university they can get into because of the costs. And a poll published by the Wall Street Journal on March 31st says 56% of Americans now believe a degree is no longer worth the time and money spent on it. And to some degree, they're correct. But in general, they're not correct. So that's what's interesting here is the majority say it's no longer worth it. But if you look at the data, it is still worth it. But it has become riskier. And the rewards for the best performers are actually getting better. But a lot of students and an increasing number of students are seeing negative returns from these degrees. And many countries are starting to study the real data, looking at tax records and what degrees that they had, the timing of when they graduate, and the choice of their institution. And what's clear here is that if you study the right subjects and you graduate on time, you will have a very good chance of making that degree worthwhile. But the longer it takes for somebody to graduate and certain, port, certain subjects that you might study that are not as lucrative, there's obviously negative returns. Now, in the 1970s, Americans with a university education were earning average 35% more than high school graduates. In 2021, that was up to 66%. So obviously, the, the value of that degree has, in general has risen over time. But the premium has started to stagnate and in some countries even fall. The typical rate of return for a bachelor's degree is around 14%, but that's from a peak of 16% in the early 2000s because of that increase in costs. But that's still much higher than the 8 to 9% that most graduates were seeing in the 1970s. But this, the average hides a wide range of outcomes. So if you study the STEM degrees, for example, or business, you tend to do much better. But if you're studying things like creative arts, social care, agriculture, your returns are likely negative. So sticking with engineering, computer science, business, those tend to really pay off. If you're studying music or visual arts, they tend not to. And so a quarter of bachelor degree programs in America will lead to negative returns for most enrolled students. So what you study generally matters more than where you study as well. On average, people who enroll in American public universities get better returns over their lifetime than students who got into more prestigious prof, for, uh, profit or private nonprofit ones. So that's a lot where the, the tuition has gone up so dramatically are those private nonprofit institutions. I went to one. I know tuition at my alma mater is up 
since I graduated, I think threefold. And that's where those high fees kind of cut into that ROI. So focusing too much on those prestigious universities is not exactly the way to go. Focusing more on what are you going to study and are you going to graduate on time? Are you sure this is where, where you want to go is most important. And what's interesting here is that it's, it's not just about studying what you want to study or, or what, what you think will, will pay off. The, the, those people still, the students still have to have passion in regards to that. Otherwise, it will still be negative. Okay. So I think that's what the data is saying overall. And some countries are even trying to change the rules around how much those, right, encouraging people to go into degrees that uh, are, and maybe they pay off a little bit more, um, basically changing the incentive structures and smart policy in order to guide students into degrees that are, are, are better for the common good. Um, and so I really like that to see that Australia government, for example, is encouraging learners to make social useful choices. And they doubled what undergraduates pay to study social sciences, political sciences, communications, and have the fees for nursing and teaching. So getting people into the more useful degrees. And I could see that happening more and more around the world and here in the US. So focus on the right degrees, not necessarily the best college uh, that's out there. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for the question that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hi, this is David at Livermore, California. When you make reference to a certain percentage of your portfolio should be in this or that, do you include the home you live in as part of the portfolio? Uh, do you include retirement accounts and taxable accounts? You know, what all is included in the entire portfolio when you're determining what percentage of that portfolio should be invested in a particular asset? Thank you. No, I don't include a home uh, because most people uh, aren't really tapping into that, that equity. Uh, most people are using that to, to live in its utility. Now there are reverse mortgages and things you can do to kind of tap into that. And, and I think those are, can be smart strategies for certain people. But uh, what, what we're talking about is all of your yeah, retirements and, and liquid assets. So assets that you might spend and, and, and use in your lifetime. And so that's the way to think about it uh, as, as a whole. So hopefully that answered your question. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's, let's go to George. He's in Washington State looking at PODD. George, you there? Hello? Hello? Yeah, yeah uh, how are you doing? I'm continuing to... Hi, how's it going? Thank you very much for uh, taking my call. Uh, I'm continuing to make an investment in uh, some medical device companies, and uh, I came across two of them, and I wonder which one would be better. One is PODD, ticket symbol, and second one is STAA. What was the second one again? The second one is STAA. STAA. Is that Star Surgical? Is that the the eye implant one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so if I'm looking at both, 
uh, Star Surgical. I know I've actually done a, some research in the past on this name, and I, I really like the, their end product. The, the, the feedback from patients is very positive, and they make uh, implants for cataracts, glaucoma, surgery, and uh, their devices are well-received by patients. So I really like that. Now, it got a little bit out over its skis with the less of the growth names, peaked out around $160 per share. Now it's down to about $44 per share. Uh, but the technicals are still a, are still too weak for my blood, to be honest with you. Uh, it's, it's a name that's on my watch list eventually by if it gets to a reasonable valuation, but it's just not there yet. But it very well could, right? There is going likely a level probably closer to the mid 20s, right? It's at 44 now. I think that's an area that I would love to pick up Star Surgical, right? So it's getting a 30 level, that that range, mid 20s to 30. I, I would love to, to, to buy Star Surgical because I, I believe in their product and once again, good, uh, good feedback from patients. Now, PODD, very different. This develops wireless hands, handheld insulin infusion systems who for people who are insulin dependent. And their business has grown, but it's trading at a ridiculous multiple. Okay. You're talking about a hundred times forward looking earnings. And that is after this recent drop, which peaked out around $335 per share. Now it's at 201. And the technicals are really bad. Now you had a really bad bounce over the last couple of days, but that's nothing considering how oversold it was. And it's overvalued. The technicals are terrible. Um, so I would not be uh, be looking at this, especially because you know type two diabetes it's curable, right? With the right diet, uh, I know Ozempic is doing a good job of of curing that. Um, so th I think there's just a lot more opportunity for, uh, I think less opportunity, I guess, for their business, right? Insulin for uh, di diabetics. So, and then you have a lot of debt. Pod has a lot of debt on its balance sheet, about $1.4 billion. Um, so I'm definitely passing on PODD, but STAR, S-T-A-A, STAR Surgical, it's on my watch list. It's something you should be uh, watching for, but the technicals need to get much, much better. Okay. And your price sales is still seven times it's not cheap enough. Technicals are not good enough. So neither one of these are names that I would be jazzed up to buy at the current time. But once again, Star is the winner between the two. Now we have one goal. Uh, sorry, we only have one trading day remaining in the month of August. Yeah, we've pretty much through eight months of this year. And although there are shades of kind of the old market environment in the first half of the year, you're starting to see that that new market environment is... Uh, Reaccelerating, right? Commodities starting to gain their legs again. Interest rates moving uh, to multi-year highs as of late, and serious investors have to adjust the strategies that they've been deploying to fit these times. And so, if you need help and some guidance, and you want a free portfolio review just to understand where you're at, and I see, I see a mixed bag. I, I do these portfolio reviews. Some people. They're doing great. They're listening to the guidance. They have the right mix of sectors and, and asset classes for their risk tolerance level and their and their goals. Others are far off base. Whether that's another advisor put them in an odd strategy. I, I, I did one a few days ago 
their advisor had him in like 300 plus different positions. They were charging them about two and a half percent in total fees between their fee and mutual fund fees, ETF fees, et cetera. So, you know, it, it really is a wide range of, of outcomes that I see with these portfolios. Uh, so if you need, if you want to know which camp you are in, I encourage you to reach out and schedule a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. And you can do that via our website and besttalk.com. The top right, there's just a button, portfolio review, fill that out, and we'll get right back to you. Or you can give our office a call at 800 557 5461. That's in Irvine, California. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help get you get your portfolio optimized. Now, this is Invest Talk. Hang on, more questions coming up next. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know. Building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download, 24-7, rain or shine. The InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, Adam again from Texas. I was calling to see what you thought about Cloudflare. The ticker symbol is NET November Echo Tango. And I'm looking to short it. I was just curious to see what you thought. Thanks. Bye. All right, looking to short net Cloudflare. And this one has been kind of meandering since it's low what, last summer. Yeah, June, it, it hit a low around $30 per share. Now it's at 64, but well off its highs or post-pandemic, right around 220 is when it peaked out. That was late 2021. It's kind of where all the, the growth stocks peaked out. And this is what I call a, a bearish flag pattern of the past year or so. So the technicals, I think, line up for a short. And the fundamentals... Do as well. The price to sales ratio, 19 times. That's pretty absurd, especially for a company whose growth is slowing. A year ago, growth, sales, revenue growth was 54%. This last quarter, down to only 32%. So typically, when you have that level of deceleration in growth, the multiples get hit. And it certainly has to a degree, but I think there's far more to go. And they're issuing more and more shares. So these exact type of names that are probably going to continue to struggle, especially when you finally get that uh, full rollover in the growth side of the market. And now the only negative on the short side would be to say they have a good balance sheet, but they really have a good balance sheet because they just issue more shares instead of borrowing money, uh, which dilutes shareholders. So yeah, I think this is a good short. All right, we're heading into a final final break. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Duncan from New York, longtime student. Thank you for all that you do. I actually have a question about CDs. You mentioned before about, like, ultra-short bonds, too. I have some cash on the side that I'm actually utilizing to close on a piece of property within the next year, so I'm looking for something safer. Is now the time to do CDs? I'm looking to do just three-month CDs. I know I can look on bank rates, 
Or can you tell us a little bit more about ultra bonds? I know that bonds are starting to become a little bit in favor, corporate bonds, and we'd just like a little bit more information on that. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye. Well, if you have a precise target of the date you need that money, CDs can be great because you can lock in a little bit higher rate. But it's pretty minuscule in today's environment, especially you're getting five and a quarter to five and a half on uh, on short-term treasuries. Let's see, one month is 5.5, three months 5.56, six months 5.51, one year is 5.39. That's the really short end of the curve. So I would just do those. I would just be buying short-term treasuries uh, over CDs unless you're getting better than that. I'm not seeing a whole, a whole lot better than that um, in, in the market. So that's the way I would go. You could also buy an ultra short-term uh, ETF. That's another way to do it, where they're just buying those kind of zero to three month treasury bonds. That's, I think, the better way to go. Very liquid. You don't have to worry about sacrificing yield if you want to go sell it. Um, but maybe you know exact time. You said in about a year. It sounds like it's kind of up in the air, the exact timing of it. And so that's why I kind of like the just keeping it in an ultra short-term treasury bond uh, ETF. Now, could you go into ultra short-term corporate bond ETF? Sure, but you know, you never know with yield spreads. They're unlikely to widen dramatically over the next year, but certainly could happen. So I'd want to keep it safe. Just stick with those ultra short treasury bond ETFs. Okay. And there's a few of them out there that you can go find. iShares is a good one. All right. Let's touch a bit on hedge funds. And what's interesting about a recent lawsuit, and this is between Sculptor Capital Management and its founder, Daniel Och, O-C-H. And it's really a look under the hood because all of these statements and emails are, are public. And the lawsuit basically says that Och tried to sabotage the sale of the hedge fund to Sculptor, uh, or to sell itself, excuse me. And they released a lot of uh, letters to that uh, to that allegation. And the one of the most potent tag uh, attacks that was la- was lobbied against Sculptor is that they gross grossly overpaid a former CEO Jimmy Levine, uh, even though the performance was very poor. Now the stock of Sculptor IPO'd around three hundred twenty dollars in two thousand seven, and now it wants to sell itself for eleven dollars and fifteen cents. So if you invested in the company or in the hedge fund itself, you didn't do very well. But between 2021 and 2022 alone, they paid out $732 million in salaries, bonuses, and benefits, even though it lost money, lost $27 million. Now, Och did very well himself, so he paid him himself even though there's bribery scandals and a lot of problems with the business overall. But it just shows you that there's an old adage within the hedge fund industry. And it's that these are compensation schemes masqueraded as an asset class. And that happens a lot in the private fund industry. 
So when you're going buying to buy these private funds, remember, you don't really know what's in them, who's running them, and the people that sell them get big commissions. And so be careful because the devil's in the details, and ultimately, most of these are just for compensation purposes as opposed to really making their shareholders good money. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which are always on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And be sure to check out the Invest Talk Classroom series streaming now over on our YouTube channel. Episode 5 is out right now on how to invest in recessionary times. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 